The day's work is done, but we ain't going home yet. So crack a cold one. We're having beers in the shop. And here's your host, the Farm Talk Mafia. Welcome into another episode of Beers in the Shop with special guest, Mr. Mike Burkhart. How are we doing, Mike? I'm doing fine. How about you guys? We're hanging in there. Keeping bees out of trouble. <laughs> if you don't know who Mr. Burkhart is, you must not listen to any podcasts at all. But for the slim chance you don't, Mike, why don't you tell us about yourself and the foundation that you guys have going on? His username on TikTok is Farming TVI Dad. Yeah. So, okay, so my brother and I just started farming. I mean, we started raising um, pigs on contract. I was in fifth grade and raised them out in dirt lot. Uh, but anyway, we basically, that's kind of how we started at a really young age and uh, ended up that uh, our dad had his first major heart attack at 36 years old. And then it ended up 13 years later, he passed away. Um, I was 21 at the time. My brother was 24. Um, I was, had just been married uh, just about four years at that point. So we, uh, we ended up, we started farming with my mother at that time. And so we kind of took it from there and it just kind of growed and, and ran at that point, but ended up, we got four great kids um, and they all got really good jobs. But here in the last uh, two years, why we've decided to shut the farm down. Uh, all of them have good enough jobs that there was no sense of trying to force them into coming back to the farm and hanging them with a bunch of debt just so we could say we're going to keep the farm running another generation. So, so that's kind of what we, what we did. Um, when your kids are making the kind of money they are, there was no sense of uh, forcing them into something that um, they didn't have a passion for. And even if they had a passion for it, I probably would have directed them because what we told our kids was that, um, uh, they had to go to college. My wife and I was never fortunate enough to go to college. So, uh, but we told them to go to college, get a degree in something you enjoy to do. And then after you go to work for somebody for five to 10 years and you decide you want to come back to the farm, uh, we'll make it work. Um, or you may find out that maybe me and uncle Bill wasn't so tough to work with and you may want to come back or maybe you want to go the other route. But um, obviously we must've been pretty tough to work for because none of them come back. So there you go. So, so anyway, that's uh, kind of where we're at, but we, we ended up that um, a year ago, we uh, had our equipment auction and um, bees wasn't here. Was you here that night? I was there that night. Yeah. You was there. So was was Matt. Matt was here that night also. So we ended up, uh, you know, Tony uh, growing corn called me in December of 2020 and said, Hey, got a group of people like to come support you. Uh, for your auction. I said, oh, that's cool. Uh, what do you got in mind? He said, well, we'd just like to come and be there. So anyway, told my wife, I said, well, here's what we're going to do. I said, everybody ever comes to our farm, we always feed them. So I said, let's put together a big shrimp boil and we'll get through the day and, and do the best we can with it. And um, ended up had, had a pretty good time. Um, and, and bees can tell you that that's probably the first time, well, I know it is, it's the first time most of them had met. Yes. And uh, it was a fun night. It was it was an interesting night to sit back and kind of watch everybody because it was like going to a class reunion. And it, it was a, such a situation where everybody that got together, it was like they knew one another from 20 years ago. And so everybody hit it off and just had a big old time. That's exactly how it was. You walked in. It was, 
you never met any of them. It was like you've known them forever. It's <clears throat> exactly yeah. what it was. Yeah. It, it, the only way they knew one another was through a goofy Chinese app that had 60 second videos <laughs> on it, right? Yeah. That's yeah. exactly how it started. So, so anyway, um, you know, it's kind of one of those things where we didn't realize what we were supposed to do. Travis's accident here two weeks from today, well, he, uh, he had a car accident, uh, headed back to down in Bees' neighborhood to USI, was going to school to be a teacher and football coach, basketball coach, baseball coach, and went into a spin on the ice um, and ended up with a traumatic brain injury. We ended up in the hospital for uh, five and a half months um, and ended up then that out of the first 16 months, 13 months of the 16, one of us lived out of a hotel because we was doing therapy, either Indianapolis, uh, Evansville, uh, even spent two months in Chicago on Michigan Avenue, uh, lived up there for two months, lived in Cincinnati for four months, um, at another point doing hyperbaric oxygen treatments. So then after the dust had settled, we decided to open up, uh, the Travis Burkhart foundation and, Decided we would go back and start helping families out uh, with some of the things that just aren't covered by insurance that comes out of your pocket that digs into your pocket financially pretty hard and pretty fast. So long short of it, there you go. Yeah, you're definitely one of the people that we go to for, you know, wisdom because you've been through a lot. (laughs) Yes. And yet still have a positive attitude, too. Yeah, every day is not a positive attitude, but... (laughs) You just got to do the best you can, guys. I mean, um, you know, you can get dealt a rotten hand and, and feel like it, it's kind of like whenever um, I went through the farm auction and, you know, I always thought that some of the stuff that happened in my neighborhood with other farmers and everything, I thought, well, this is just my area that, you know, you got farmers cutting throats and just not treating one another real nice and didn't care how they got ahead in life. They just wanted to get ahead and how they wanted to pick up property. But through the period of time there of about from about October, 2020, all the way up to January 16th, 21, I talked to probably close to 400 farmers over the phone, all over the United States and Canada. And if we would talk about a piece of equipment that was for sale and before it was over with, they would all come back with a story that says, you know, we got this guy in our neighborhood that's going around calling everybody's landowners and is really being a pain in everybody's backside. And we're getting kind of tired of it. And there, I thought I was the only one dealing with it, you know? So it was everywhere. Yeah. That stuff definitely happens around my area too, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and that's what we've all learned off of TikTok, how different it is throughout the country, how everybody farms, you know, um, like with, with Jake, with them, in Nebraska, you know, um, I, I realized real quick, you know, I used to fly over Nebraska and see all the pivots, you know, and go, huh, that's weird. Why they got so many pivots there? Um, we've got a few in our area, but nothing like it's concentrated like that is. And then after being on TikTok, we realized that they don't have the pivots. They don't have a crop. Yeah. So. That's something I learned too is um, like around our area, Mike, like you said, there's, you know, a pivot here and a pivot there. It's just kind of, they had the water to do it, so they said, why not? But, you know, like you said, around Jake's area, you know, if they don't have it, they ain't got nothing. I was talking to uh, Brooke Brin off TikTok. We were having a conversation, and she said it's the same way where she's from. If uh, they don't 
everywhere they don't have pivots, they don't have anything that grows. They said it's kind of the the only way they can do things. And it kind of amazed me how that worked. You know, around here, we just – we get rain, you know, decent amount. We do – I mean, we can't raise a dry land crop. I mean, you, you still do hope for that. We do have, you know, plenty of dry land and stuff when you talk about the pivots. But, you know, the guarantee is – gone like it, it could be the, i mean you're talking a difference between 60 bushel an acre corn in a year versus 230 i mean that that's how it varies on that ground yeah. versus you know one year to the other so like yeah i mean the pivots are not the pivots are are what uh it's what when you're doing your your pre-season book work you're saying okay here's my projections that's what saves your ass, right? That's what makes you think you're going to make it in a year. And then you're just praying for rain on, on, on that. I mean, outside of that with your, your uh, dry land, because it is such – and then that's where the cash rent values just are like a mile apart in our area. Like I talk with Blake and Matt and them, and, and I tell them some of our cash rent values on our dry land. They're like, are you, are you serious? Like, no, I'm not serious because it could, 60 bushel corn ain't going to – Hey, shit. Yeah. 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 That's what, you know, whenever, you know, you always hear these guys about no-till versus no, no no-till. And and then whenever I was in Montana, you know, I find out that they only get 11 inches of rain a year. And then where Jake's had to get 27. And then you get, you know, up into the Dakotas, they get about 17 inches of rain a year. But what you find out is that in our area, if we don't work the ground in the spring, we can't get rid of the moisture that's already there build up so much that we have to crack it open so that it'll dry out so we have a seed bed yeah. as to where if you know you get into those other areas if you work the ground then you've lost whatever moisture you had to get it up out of the ground so you know it, it's just amazing to me that being on tiktok what what i've been able to learn even you know in an old guy learning you know they always say you can always learn new things all the time you know it can happen yeah farming <laughs> Farming is not a one size fits all. It's it could vary county from county, let alone state to state. So, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. That makes for an interesting uh, season that way for everybody. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, one of the topics I wanted to bring up, Mike, is the future of farming. And by that, I'm talking. This isn't cracking at you, calling you old, but when you're growing up, was it a lot easier for, hey, any of your buddies to, I'm going to, I'm going to farm. I'm going to start my own farm from first generation. Was that actually a thing when you were growing up? Because I know damn well for me, Jake and Bees, if you don't have some kind of tie-in, you're, you're out of luck. Well, you know, the investment now com- compared to then, um, you know, like I said, we started, my brother and I started raising uh, hogs on dirt. So all we had to do was for each lot by three outside feeders, we made uh, platforms for the feeders out of wood and we used electric fence. The whole investment for the whole thing might've been less than a thousand dollars to get started. Now I say a thousand dollars, thousand dollars seemed like a lot back then, but, but yet then you recouped it so quick and, and hogs were always that, that one thing that you could get started in. We always felt like early on that if, if we couldn't pick up ground, what we would do is increase our numbers in livestock to offset it because we was making good money in, in the hogs back then. And then, you know, that was in 1973. 
And so by 1978, I was a junior in high school. We started Farrell to finish. My brother and I did. And, uh, and what happened was we ended up with some older guys that was getting out of the hog. So they give us fairing crates. Once again, we had very little money in it. So you could start fairly easy then. Um, and you know, back then I, my grandpa told me once that they bought a H an old, old international H corn planter, a disc and a plow and had $2,800 invested in the whole thing. And that's what they started farming on. And so, so yeah, it, it is totally crazy. Uh, I run across the thing the other day and it was, I had kept, you guys been in FFA? Yeah. Okay. Do you remember whenever you, I don't know if you still have to do it or not, but your, your freshman year to get your green hand, you had to go through the creed yeah. and you had to create different, you know, the future of farming. Well, it was really crazy because I come across a piece that I had put in there about tractors driving themselves. That oh. was 1975 guys. And here we are today. We're seriously talking about it. And that was the yeah. wildest, goofiest dream you could have ever imagined at that time. But here we are. So, um, you know, and, and at that time, you know, you could get started uh, easy enough, but you know, back then too, it was based off, of the job that you did so if you was willing to work hard you know people would rent their property to you but it all changed in 1996 you guys know what happened in 1996 jake was born i'll tell you what changed it roundup roundup came out in 1996 and it would take a guy that could not farm for hoot and make him a mediocre farmer. And while the rest of us was pulling weeds out of soybeans, carrying a five gallon bucket of sodium chloride with a gunny sack, cleaning up farms that had Johnson grass and Johnson grass was brought into the area because they thought it was the new great thing for hay, for cattle. And they found out that what happened is the root system would overtake anything else that was grown in that field. So we got a lot of farms at that time because we were young and stupid. My dad used us and abused us to where we carried a five gallon bucket of chloride and, and a pocket knife and a gunny sack. And we cut the heads off of the Johnson grass and throw sodium chloride on it. And you always had to do it early in the morning because the chloride would stick in a dew. So it would stick to the plant. But the problem was that it would always kill the ground. And so, but we started using Roundup in 1976 because that's when it first come out to use just in, in ditch banks and that kind of thing. And we cleaned up fields that way. You had a lot of dead spots out in the field because they wasn't GMO, you know? Yeah. You know, they wasn't modified. So, but yeah, that, that changed the whole, uh, somebody asked me the other day to do a TikTok on my feelings on, on Roundup. But to me, that was the best thing for me in my farming career that ever come along was, was Roundup. Uh, ain't it funny how so you kind of you kind of said that uh, it'd make the worst farmer a mediocre farmer by using roundup and now i feel as we get more into it the, these chemical programs get more and more complex and yeah. now it's like now it's like i feel like a mad scientist when i'm trying to figure <laughs> out exactly like what's most bang for my buck what am i putting on what works with what and there's so many products out there and there's so much 
crap out there too as well that you have to decipher through to figure out now now and now i would i honestly wish that i grew up in the time that we could just say help oh, we're spraying roundup that's what we're put- <laughs> yes, we're putting roundup on everything now now it ain't even now it's like well we're gonna we're gonna put roundup in to maybe kill some grass that's about it that's all we're yeah, doing yeah. That's well, the, you, the, the weird thing about that is so back in the way back you go back into the 50s and 60s they sprayed diesel fuel on giant ragweeds, horse weeds. That's huh. how they killed them. Um, and of course, everything was done through cultivation. Well, then they come out with some chemicals in the 70s and 80s. And I'm telling you what, guys, we was pouring some concoctions of stuff that had skull and crossbones all over. <laughs> and I mean, it was one of those deals where you're pouring it in, you can't stand the fumes enough. And yeah. at that time, we still had, um, we was using a, a Ford 9600 tractor at that time didn't have a cab on it mm-hmm. and and it had a pair of and bees will know these because they were made in his area kim farm saddle tanks yes kim farm matter of fact i sold that same pair we bought a pair in 1976 and i still carried it on my planter tractor the day i quit that's how good those things were made i'd believe but, it yeah and uh and anyway what happened was you know you was out in an open cab you had no cab and we was incorporating chemicals at that time you know, everybody had a setup to where you you sprayed it in front of the, the disc or in front of a field cultivator and, and you incorporated it. Mm-hmm. And my land, some of the stuff we threw together, um, when we did double crop beans, we used 2,4-D, uh, Roundup, Surfland, Lorox, um, Paraquat. I mean, there was like six chemicals and, and you had to have it written down because you couldn't remember what the concoction was. So, I mean, some of the stuff that we did, you know, and I hear these lawsuits on Roundup now, and I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, the first thing I thought of. <laughs> those, oh, yeah. those TV commercials, Mike, are they talking about you? If you were exposed to this, 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 you're you're obligated to some substantial compensation. Uh, I'm sitting there what? shaking my head the whole time I watch those commercials. I'm going, you people don't realize the only people that's making any money off that is the stinking attorneys because they're getting 48% of every dang bit of that. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, yeah. who do you, you think is paying for them ads? It's the attorneys. Uh, yep. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Well, it's really weird because so we through the foundation, and I don't know if you guys fill this out or not, but you should fill it out. But it started with Monsanto and it was a program called Growing Your Community. It is a very quick, um, it's a grant. We've received close to, I am, I'm going to say, almost $20,000 through this program in eight different increments. We got it again this year, but what it does is you can go in and if you want money, say for your local FFA program or your local fire department, any non-for-profit kind of situation, fill that thing out. And uh, it's been $2,500 forever. And it's in every County in the Midwest, Hmm. but uh, when we was at Fort Wayne, I talked to the bear rep up there and uh, told him how much I appreciate that. And I said, sad part is with all these all these uh, lawsuits that's going on, I'm afraid they're going to kill that program. And so, but yeah, fill that thing out, guys, because there's really? some good money there that, uh, I mean, I'm always the only one that fills it out in my county. So, don't. so I've won it several times. It's silly. We don't. But yeah. 
Yeah, good. definitely have to look into that. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty simple thing. It takes less than five minutes. No big yeah. deal. No big deal. Hmm. But yeah, as far as that, um, you know, as far as getting started and that type of thing, it is different now. Um, like I said, uh, you guys are trying to get started, you know. You know, I always say, too, though, that the best thing you can do is to be diversified. So just like with what Jake's doing and what Blake's doing, um, you know, you got to have more than just uh, dirt mm -hmm. to count on. Because if it if one thing goes bad, maybe the other thing can pick it up, whether it's raising hogs on contract, whether it's raising cattle. I don't I don't care what it is, uh, whether it's trucking or, or whatever but be diversified to where you've got different incomes coming from different entities so that, you know, you can, uh, even if you've got an off farm job, that's the greatest thing in the world because you've got your, you know, your health insurance is paid for. You've got a steady income, you know, and it's covering what your living expenses are because we all know that everything that comes off the farm, it almost got to pour it right back in it to keep it going. So, Yeah. Well, and then I was going to kind of touch on that. Like we talked about earlier, you talked about just like neighbors calling around, talking to landlords. That's especially tough when, when you're our age. You, don't, you really don't know where, where to go. I mean, obviously, we're 25, 26. We want to pick up ground, too. You want to be moral about it, though. You don't want to be a, you don't want to be a dickhead about it. Yeah, and and it's it's really tough because you do you do have to have a tie in. You have to know nobody, know somebody. You can't just go around, and and it is it's like it pulls on the heartstrings because you're like, man, I I do I'm really trying to raise a family. I'm trying to trying to grow my business. I'm trying to do here, but I know so and so, and I know this guy, and he was good to me, and this, and I really have no idea where to go from here. And then you, at that point, I guess you just kind of got to sit back and just let God and your hard work take care of it because, I mean, that's how I've always been. I, I Right when I started, you know, I'm not going to lie, I was that guy. I was knocking on doors. I want. I, I mean, I wanted to gain something from it. I really did. Now, I mean, I kind of got to take a step back and just be like, you know, I don't know, for me, it's like let, let landlords come to you. Never be the one initiating something. That's how I go at it at this point, but well, it's still, and, it's very and, and I'm in a luxury because I can talk about that stuff now and, and I can also, and, and I, there's no repercussion for me. And that's the other good thing about TikTok is that you can talk to other people and, and talk about maybe problems that you're dealing with and there's no repercussion from it. But mm -hmm. I was at a point in my career mm -hmm. where I could say, I either have to get down and get it really, really aggressive. Uh, because it, it come down to, I mean, you, you take $2 an acre in a, in a cash rent bid and you lose it over $2. It didn't matter how good you was, but that $2, even if it was only a hundred acre field, that meant $200 a year and you lost it over $200, but it was never looked at. But I had the luxury that I could walk away from it and say, I'm going to stay as clean as I can, but I understand exactly what you're saying because of the fact that and, and I don't see a problem with talking to people. Um, but what I have a problem with is when people knowingly know that there's a good relationship and they get in the middle of it and tear something down. That's yeah. the problem that yeah. I got. But we'll look you square in the eye and say it's 
not anything personal. It's just business. And, uh, mm -hmm. and I told on the TikTok that I put out today, I said, but the way you do business is extremely personal to me. And that's what it got to us was that we had got to a point where for Travis, like we had, it took us about three years to find what was called IU neuroscience and uh, cutting edge. Some of the best therapy we had found in about five or six states. And so they had machines in there that cost over seven or $800,000 that was helping him get his balance back, helping him get his walking ability back. But what happened was we ended up, we lost, we lost a farm and we was managing a convenience store at the same time. We lost both of those things in two months time. And so those two things was paying for us to be able to go a hundred mile away to therapy three days a week. Mm -hmm. So Whenever it gets to the point to where they get in your living room and it starts affecting your family, um, it starts getting really, really personal at that point. So, you know, at that point, you got to, it, it was getting ready to get bad because what I yeah. told my brother was, um, if one of us doesn't get out of this thing, one of us is going to end up in jail because uh, at the point that, that this stuff is going on, um, it's going to get bad. And that's about a about as deep as I can go into that, but it was getting to the point to where somebody was going to get a butt whooping because I was getting tired of it. Yeah. So, and the, and the sad part is, is this today's society and it's really transitioned over time, I guess, in my opinion, but we're not neighborly anymore. We're just not, we're, we're completely, we're, we're selfish beings. I mean, for the most part, really. I mean, and, and so it's hard for one person to, to, be to see into another person's home you're not you don't think about that one bit when you're making decisions and, and it's sad it really is in a sense because there's no personal connection anyway yeah I mean, it's not it is it is, it is in, in in one person's mindset and a lot of people's it is strictly business you don't yeah. i mean you're not you're not thinking about anything else no repercussions on any other end of it it's how can I financially? Yeah. Well, and this just didn't start because, uh, like I told you, my dad passed away in 1986 and I had a buddy that lost his dad in 1976. And he had this same thing happen in 1976. We're at the casket, my dad's viewing and two guys come up to my mom and said, um, so what are you going to do with the farm? She said, what? We're going to, so we'd like to rent the farm. And, uh, she looked at him and said, What's these, what do you think these two guys are going to do? They'll handle it fine. Uh, and, and we was lucky because what had happened was, you know, like I told you, my dad had his first heart attack at 36 years old. So when I was in junior high, I was already running most of the equipment. And so we had, because we had to. And, yeah. and so we, we was actually, what would happen is we would get up and feed livestock before we went to school. Uh, get all that done. And if it was lucky, it wasn't in season, then I could go to ball practice, basketball practice is the only sport I could play because it didn't fall in harvest time and it didn't fall in springtime. Mm -hmm. And so, but then after I'd get home from basketball, then I'd have to go do chores and, and feed cows in the dark and feed, fed the cows in the dark in the morning and in the evening. And same thing with hogs. So we had cows and hogs at that time. But anyway, my mom had told him, said, these guys have been doing this for a very long time already. And 
they're going to be just fine. And it's probably a good idea that maybe you leave right now. Um, so she, uh, she asked somebody to escort them out of the funeral home. So I don't blame her one bit. Yeah. So, yeah. So it didn't, it just didn't happen this year. It's been going on a long time guys. Yeah. And it makes you wonder what goes through people's minds, you know, to ask that question at that certain time, you know, at least give it a week or two or, you know, well, and that, I guess that's kind of the point I was alluding to as, as a young guy is because this stuff does go on. <clears throat> so then it really gets in the head of someone, I would say, like me. Yeah. Because so, so say you do have a good personal relation with somebody and then all of a sudden something like that happens where you and then all of a sudden your wheels are turning. Is somebody going to step in? Do I have to be the one that goes and brings up the sore subject? Do I have to be that person? Should I, or should I sit back and wait? Or is somebody going to come in and and sweep sweep this ground right out from under me that I've been farming ever since I started, or vice mm-hmm. versa? The family, and, and it's really it really turns into a really messed up situation. <laughs> it sucks yeah. because because it really it starts then it starts quite you as another person you start questioning your values because you're worried about other people's values, and then it turns into one big hot mess. Yeah. Well, and, and the thing is, too, guys, you know, the, a lot of times those guys are thinking, well, if I don't get there, somebody else is going to get there for me. Mm-hmm. So, so they'll go ahead and pull the trigger early. Um, but, but yet, you know, a lot of times it can backfire on them, you know. Um, and and if, if that person has any kind of morals at all that they're talking to, but I've seen it happen where uh, widows get approached after the fact and want to come by a farm and they get the ultimatum put on them. You got 24 hours to make a decision because I'm moving on to the next one. And so therefore I'm going to, here's your offer. You ain't going to find it any better. And you're definitely not going to find it any better in 24 hours. So they put pressure on this poor widow person, widow lady. And a lot of them feel pressured enough to where it happens, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... <laughs> yeah. So it's I mean, it, it's it is kind of weird, um, but yet I've had so many phone calls um, from guys that are struggling with situations that it's kind of nice to be able to sit down and talk to them a little bit, and they feel free to talk about it, you know. Um, and some of it's some pretty serious stuff, um, and, and that's the reason why whenever I started that we can do better series over a year ago was that I can talk about this stuff and throw it out there. And if I help one of you young guys that you've got a neighbor that doesn't realize he just thinks I'm, I'm just an extra extremely aggressive, successful business person because the way I do business, but make him understand that ethically and morally, that's not the right way to do business. And if I can get him to back off, and maybe one of you guys pick up a piece of property that you didn't think that you had the opportunity to get, then I've, I've accomplished what I wanted to accomplish. Exactly what I want to accomplish because that they can't hold it back on me now. What, what are they going to do to me now at this point? You know, so I can talk the truth all day long. I got a, I got a question for you and you don't have to answer it if you don't want, but what's I'm your opinion? Book. What, what's your opinion on land managers? Land managers? Land managers. Land managers. Okay. So I'm going to tell you what my experience is on that one. There you go. 
here's what I here's what I find out a lot of times, and I've been involved in a couple of those cash rent bids. And so what they'll do is they'll they'll put out this packet, want everybody to bid on it, which is fine and dandy, as long as it's a closed packet. That the only person that sees it is the person I hand it to. And that doesn't necessarily mean that somebody else doesn't know what the numbers are. But sometimes, and I'm not saying all the time, sometimes they already have somebody in mind of who they want to Mm -hmm. do it anyway. But they're trying to throw out just a bone out there and let's see what the market really looks like. And I've been called back. I got caught in that twice with the same guy and uh, ended up that he would call and say, well, hey, if you throw another $5 in there, you could probably have it. What the heck? Throw another five bucks in there. And so, you know, wouldn't be a couple hours later, call back and say, well, you've got a better offer. Well, wait a minute. This is not an auction, right? No, no, no. It's not an auction. Yeah. Sealed bid. Well, Mm-hmm. Well, if this is not a bidding process, then what? Why you keep calling me back? Yep. No. What <laughs> well, he did? Is, what he did is he called the other guy and said, "Hey, you want to throw five more dollars thing. on it?" Sure yeah. did. Did the same dang thing. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, I got caught the, with the same guy twice on that and lost the farm both times. And the last time, he did it a third time, and I just mailed it back to him and said, "Thanks, but no thanks. Whenever you want to do an open auction, call me." We'll meet someplace and we'll do an open auction, but otherwise this is not a sealed bid situation. And so, you know, there, for what it's worth, there you go. Um, And I'm not saying there's not good ones out there. I know of a couple of good ones that's there, but that's, that's the big warning that I would throw out there is that um, if I, if I give you a number and it's good enough, let's go with it. Otherwise call me back and say it's over. I think, I think it falls in line. And I get everybody's everybody's got to make a dime. I, I don't I, I understand that 100 percent. But when these land managers get in the middle of it. A lot of times in my experience, the only thing that's on their mind is what kind of commission can I make? What doesn't make sense to me, uh, Jake, is the fact that here's the deal. What do you need to farm manager for? Because the guy that you have, you should trust the person that's renting that property from you. Yes. Should you have some stipulations in that cash rent contract that says, yes, you've got certain things as far as fertility is concerned. You know, I want soil test rolled every third year. Uh, I want to be able to see the yield reports. Uh, But you should be able to to be in a position to where if you trust them enough with the, the kind of investment you've got, why is it so difficult? Why have they been convinced that it's so hard to call somebody and say, here's what I'd like to do. Um, here's the money I'm looking for. Are you willing to pay it? I like what you do. I like the job that you do. I think you're good at it. And from me researching you out personally, I trust you. Now, why is it that you got to put a middleman in the middle of that? I don't understand that um, because I've seen guys that will retire as a farmer, but have convinced their landowners that they need to let me manage it and end up taking 40 or $50 an acre to manage it. And all they do is every once every five years, put out this silly little contract that they created, you know, five or six years ago. And that's all they got to do. 
but they don't check up on anything else. So why why do you not trust the person that's farming your property whenever you've got that kind of investment? Makes no sense to me. You, you're that, and that's just my opinion. Is if you have the right tenant and you you have that relationship with them, they're going to care for your ground. Yeah. I mean, a hundredfold more than anybody else. No middleman. That they are. They're trying to. They're trying to make a living off of, off of that ground. Mm-hmm. And in turn, they 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 want to treat you right at the same time as well. And and, and it really it really is can be that simple. And that's why I just don't ever understand how. I know there's I know there's some good ones out there too in that, but there's a lot of ones that are, are, are just trying to make that forty, fifty dollars an acre and, and that's it. And right. That's what and, and it never made no sense to me, these guys that want to rent property and you know, if if I have spent a lot of years building that farm up and I've got it up to the levels it needs to be, well, if this guy has the idea that he wants longevity in this thing. Why is he raping all the nutrients out of it? Because mm-hmm. by the time you get to the end of it, it's going to start costing you yield. You can you can rob off of it for a while, but it's not going to be a long-term investment for you, and you're going to start losing money. So why would you want that kind of person farming your ground is beyond me. Yeah, it's frust- it gets really frustrating. It is really frustrating and stressful. And, and, then, and then you got everybody on the outside that just thinks we're cashing government checks and living <laughs> the fucking high life, so. <laughs> yeah there's definitely a lot of people that think that yeah yeah the thing for bees is uh is just as risky for him because if uh if you know if they're trying to do it right and they end up getting undercut on seven or eight hundred acres or whatever and then they end up that they lose that well what's bees's employment situation look like yep. you know yeah. that's so, very true i mean i could no more Yep. Yeah, yeah that's be, the reason why I said be diversified because then if something like that happens, well, then you've got something else to fall back on. Yeah, because I can be under just as quick as everybody else. Yeah. Well, well, that's, that's, uh, my backup is a plastic factory. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? What do you mean yeah, your backup? That is your dream. <laughs> that's not your backup. I'll just take off the berry. Yeah, see, I, you know, I sent you that picture. Uh, I was planting right across the road from the plant that's here locally. Yeah. And uh, so you can just move right up in the area there, dude. Just yeah, jump right to work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause I drove by that, the one in, in Evansville, mm-hmm. you know, it was down by Deaconess hospital. So I drove by that thing 150 times. Yeah. You know, so I knew exactly what you was talking about. Cause I'd seen <laughs> that whole plant. I knew exactly what that looked like. Yep. <laughs> So what's your next question? I got I gotta ask something. Go ahead. Did y'all, did y'all burn your Carhartt stuff? No, that was one of the topics I had on here too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing stuff. I mean, how deep does that go? You know, it's Carhartt. You know, it's like the one I put out the other day. You know, you know that after I did after I said it, I said the Coke thing, and then I realized it was that their thing was that uh, well something about you're not white enough or something. You know, and then I like oh. I'll probably get a little flashback on that one. <laughs> and I did. I had one that that brought it up. I thought maybe that one would slide through, but it ended up that. Uh, but I'm like, so, I mean, we've got so many things that we can be unhappy about in this country. Holy smokes, where we start, where's the fire stop? So yeah, yeah. what was being canceled in your, when you were our age, Mike? Was there anything that was ever canceled like it is now? Well, okay. So I go back and I look at some of that stuff, you know, 
when you go back and I was just a kid through when Vietnam war come out, mm-hmm. but you had so many people that were up in arms about the Vietnam war and call them hippies, whatever you want to call them, call them bees, whatever, whatever it is you want to call them. <laughs> <laughs> they had longer hair than, than, uh, we're going to call them bees. <laughs> we're going to call them bees. <laughs> call them bees. Yep. So anyway, you had, you had so many of those that, um, was picketing and was against what the government was doing. And, and the government, the whole thing was kind of hostile at that time, you know? Um, and, and so there was a lot of things that happened, but yet it was stuff that people dealt with and they just kind of went on, you know? Um, it's kind of like disciplined kids back then, you know, everybody disciplined everybody else's kids back then. And, you know, you may have got paddled by your neighbor uh, back then. And now that, oh my God, somebody just have a fit if, if your neighbor, but your neighbor was, was, you know, you know what they say about it takes a village. Well, Mm -hmm. it's true, you know? Um, But now we want to let the teachers do all the raising, but that's a whole nother topic. But, but yeah, there were things, I tell you what was kind of going on back then was we had, um, believe it or not, we had an energy crisis going on back then. And here we are 45 years later, and we've still got all the energy we need, but we was shutting down schools because we didn't have enough energy to power the power plants. And at that time, there was a, such an overabundant amount of coal. I can remember playing in a basketball game on a Saturday afternoon and there was no lights in the gym, but they opened all the doors up on both ends. So you had enough light to come in. And that was in 1978, whenever we had all those, all the blizzard stuff, you know, and it was crazy that here you look back now and and we had, we had, you know, this energy crisis and it was a political thing, you know? So, um, yeah. You know, and then whenever there was the tractor strikes that, you know, farmers drove tractors to through Washington DC back then. So there's, there's always been a lot of disgruntled stuff go on through the years, but it seems like we've always been able to fix it. You know, it seemed like we had politicians that was kind of accountable as to where now it's kind of like Ozark or something like that. I don't know if you guys watch Ozark or Yellowstone, but I mean, it's like everybody's some dirty politician involved in it. So, I mean, I had a guy call me, wanted me to run for um, local uh, county council. And I said, you guys don't want me. Oh, yeah, we'd really like to have you. And I said, no, you don't want me. Because I said, you'll hate me in two months. <laughs> I said, because I don't stand for this. I'm going to trade my vote over here so that I can get something down the road. Mm-hmm. Because I was on local school board for 12 years. But, you know, the thing is, everything stands on its own. Everything that you're voting for stands on its own. There should be no trading. You vote on this one item. It's either you believe in it or you don't and you move on. But no, we want to package everything together. So we're hiding something in there so that somebody gets what they want out of it. And and that's the big problem I see with politics that they can't work across the aisle. They're like a bunch of spoiled children. That's going to have their way and only their way. And it ends up no, nothing's ever accomplished. So it's sad that we've come to that. That's what frustrates the hell out of me. I mean, I, I have, I would I would say I lean more on conservative values, but I, I, I literally do not understand why people cannot work together. 
in D.C. I mean, just talk, work it out. There's compromise. There's compromise to be had. There really is. Yeah. And they refuse it. They refuse it. If one idea is brought up on the other side of the aisle, it is shot down so fucking fast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you, you give me and old bushels and barrels together, buddy. We'll have this straight down in a month or two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I tell you, it, it, because they waste so much time. I haven't got, I don't have the patience for that stuff. You know, it's like I say, it, you guys know how the farmer mentality is. You got so much work to do, so many hours to do it in. Go do it. Let's get something accomplished and let's move on to the next thing. And, and that's the problem here is they don't try to get anything accomplished and all they do is end up hating one another before it's over with. So they need to uh, sit down and have a beer at the end of the day or something. I don't know what they're doing. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, if that answers your question, Blake, I don't know, but there, there's always been some kind of disgruntled thing, you know, and, and you know, the politics that happened in the embargo in 1980 uh, with Jimmy Carter that one was detrimental. That is a big part of what happened. And, you know, my parents and everybody come through the 70s. And believe it or not, guys, you're seeing 12 and $13 beans in the 70s. And, and we're seeing $4 corn in the 70s. And they all thought they had all this money. Of course, equipment was extremely cheap. Yeah. You know, seed was 50, 60 bags, dollars a bag. Um, you know, anhydrous was extremely cheap. All your, all your inputs. So they was making, there was more farmers with airplanes back then than I've ever seen in my lifetime. <laughs> I'd never seen anything like it. They, but they had a, so then they started pouring all this money into ground mm-hmm. and then this embargo deal took over and it just collapsed everything. Um, everything went to pieces. And, and the sad part was Jimmy Carter was a great human being, great human being and was a farmer. And he beat the crap out of more farmers in his four years than probably any other president in the United States. So it was sad. Sad to sit back and watch. Yeah. So, but, you know, that's why I say everything, the spending got out of control. Interest rates got way out of control. There was a program back then called Pick and Roll. And I wasn't barely, my dad handled it back then but they had what was called pick certificates. And I don't still to this day, there'll be somebody that'll listen to this that will know, but there was a program out where you could buy these pick certificates and everybody was going to South Dakota to buy them. And it was through the government. And don't ask me what it did, but all they did was they would go up there, take those pick certificates, bring them back to the local FSA office. And, and I can dig into it and find out more about it. But it was the craziest program, but the guys were doing that because they had to, to survive. And that was the only way they could survive was these, they was making more money off these goofy pick certificates than they was actually farming. Hmm. So you guys ask your dads or your grandpa, they can explain that probably better than I can, but it was a strange program through, oh my God, accountants. It just turned accountants upside down. They didn't know what to do with it. Didn't know how to, to fill your taxes out on it. It was a disaster, but yeah. There you go. <laughs> I, I hate to wonder, like, you start to see these land prices just start to skyrocket. and Outrageous and in- prices. And now inputs are going up. And, yes, grain prices are hanging up there. I mean, they're good. But I hate I hate to, like, say that, like, history is going to repeat itself. But it kind of feels like it could. Like, I mean, just 
Stuff's getting crazy. Yeah, and all I can tell you guys is be cautious. Mm-hmm. Be very, very cautious. Uh, because, you know, I did uh, back there, I don't know, back mid-November. So I put a TikTok out and, and I did one where I changed clothes and done all this stuff, you know. And, and at the end of it, talked about that there was a guy that basically had a calculator that even though you had $15 soybeans, well, before it was all, before you got done visiting with your seed dealer and with your um, equipment dealer and, and all these things, all the prices had come up underneath of it. And still yet, you know, the way I played it out was that, yep, we held them farmers again down to $21 an acre. They still only made about $3 or 3% on their return. And, you know, you handle more money, but at the end of the day, your net is still going to be about the same. That's yeah, the but, part about it. But them government checks are going to keep rolling in, right? Yeah. That's what right. I, I keep getting told. I keep getting told I'm going to get these government checks. I'm just. Yeah, I want to. I want to know how you sign up for all that stuff because it'd be kind of nice. I'm I sure, sure everybody would want it. <laughs> okay, so let me ask you this question. So, so you've got a business owner, and he he owns a a, a owns a corporation of some sort, and he's in manufacturing. And let's say his manufacturing net uh, worth is is ten million dollars. Well, okay, so then you have a farmer who owns a thousand acres. We'll do the math on that one. What's, what is his, what is his worth? And so why is it that whenever the guy that owns this business pulls up in a $60,000 pickup, it's acceptable, but yet you have a farmer who pulls up and, and he's living out of that thing all day long. Mm-hmm. Why is that not acceptable in society? Because they've got it ingrained that it was paid for by the U S government. Because everything, most of this stuff has all got some kind of subsidy involved in it somewhere. And you guys remember the Jeep I bought? Remember the hybrid Jeep I bought? Yes. Okay. So what ended up happening with that thing was, and I don't have that no more. After January 1st, that dude found a new home. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but it ended up that there was subsidies in that. So my point was, you could not find a vehicle anywhere because there was this miraculous computer chip. Remember everybody talking about that you could not get a vehicle because this computer chip. Well, come to find out this hybrid Jeep I had had exactly that same thing, but I ordered that and it came in in five weeks. But what I found out was number one was I got a $7,500 tax rebate because I bought a hybrid vehicle. I knew that the, the factory for Jeep was subsidized. 85% of that entire assembly line was subsidized. And then I also know, I don't know how much this number is, but they was also getting paid for every Jeep that blew out the other end of the door. So, you know, the, the oil industry, all these things are all ethanol is got some subsidies in it. And it all depends on who's in power and what agenda they want to push. That's what it is. So cheap well, food has always been been the big thing. And that's the reason why there's been subsidies in farming. Kind of back on the Carhartt thing, though. I think Tony uh, Grown Corn put out a video. And I thought he was very well-spoken in it. I really did. On on how he, you know, he's basically, I don't give a shit. 
it's yeah. America, but he's got the freedom to do so, whether it's it's a company owner or not, or a person. If you mm-hmm. uh, if if you don't like the vaccine mandate, go get a job somewhere else. There's plenty of other job opportunities available right now. I thought that was very well said. I commented exactly that on that. Well said, and somebody said, "Yeah, because freedom doesn't exist." I was like, "Well, whose freedom apply to?" Does it apply to the Carhartt CEO, or does it apply only to the worker? Well, okay, so let's look at it from a different angle. Um, so what if they're carrying your health insurance? So, okay, so what if you have an outbreak of COVID in your factory? And it, it does a couple things. First off, it could shut down the complete, like it did in the meat industry there for a while. Um, it could shut down the complete flow And so then what could happen is you may lose your job that way. Uh, But the other part of that is that if your health insurance is affected by it, let's say then after the dust all settles that insurance companies come back and say, okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to increase the cost of that insurance policy to the owner uh, 50%. So are they trying to protect a couple different things? Number one, are they protecting you as an employee? And I don't know. I don't know the answer to it, guys, but I'm just trying to to take both sides of the aisle on this thing. But say, you know, it could affect your job. You may not even have that job if they don't protect that. Um, It may also disrupt the flow of materials. And we all know what what we got going on with that right now. We you know that that's been going on now for two years. So, you know, it is a private business. So um, they do have that that luxury to do that. The problem we've gotten into in this country is that. We're not producing enough of our own supplies, and that's what's got us in trouble. Um, I went on a mission trip to Mexico several years ago, late 90s. And so I go, and we, we have a guide with us, a local uh, guide, and we go by some of the factories that I knew had left our local area. I knew the companies. I didn't know that where they had ended up at. But this would have been after the Free Trade Act came in place in the late 90s. So, so what happened was we're going by these and I asked this guy, I said, could you tell me where, where that come about at? He said, oh, we were so thankful to see that because companies out of the United States. And he told me exactly where it came from. And it came from Bloomington, Indiana, had transferred down there. And what was going on was those employees down there were working 70 hours a week for $36 a week. And that's the reason why they transferred down there. And so we have taken that because we've got so many stipulations on most of these companies, whether it be EPA or whatever it is, but we're overburdening them. And I'm not saying that it's, it's not a good thing because if you go back and look at pictures from the seventies in LA, you could not see through that city because the smog was so bad. Go find a car that was built in the seventies and lay down by the exhaust pipe. And let's see how long you, you can lay there. You go to one of those new vehicles sitting right there behind uh, behind Jake, you can lay there for a long time. I mean, <laughs> cars are so much better. I'm not saying that some of the stipulations we got are not better because they are, but, you yeah. know, that's the problem we've got into. I so, get stuck behind an old vehicle just in the highway, and I'm just like, God damn, I'm going to pass this guy because it's smoking me out. I got yeah. a massive headache real fast. <laughs> yep. So, so Yeah. But I, you know, I don't know. Um, 
you know, you got to give these companies the lead way to do business to an extent. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things too, whenever I was growing up, God, we had one vaccine behind, behind another. And, you know, we was getting chicken pox, we was getting measles and, and I still got the spot on my arm from the, the measles uh, vaccination because it was a great big round. I, it was an ungodly looking thing. That thing come at you. It looked like it was bringing a pogo stick at you. <laughs> <laughs> it would scare the crap out of you. I bet. But, you know, so they we had a kid in our area that had polio. And so they had come out with the vaccination for polio. And and I swear, you know, this, this poor kid, his arm wasn't any bigger around than a pool cue. And so they come and wanted to want to know if we all wanted the vaccine and we were in line begging for it, mm -hmm. you know, so we, we took it. Um, but it was at a time you trusted them, you know, yeah. do we trust everybody now? Probably not. All right. So first one up factor bullshit, alcohol kills brain cells. This was for you, bees. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it. I think it definitely. Uh, over time, it can. And uh, for the uh, few hours after you have enough of them, it kills quite a few for a short amount of time. So I would definitely say that. That I could see that being true. I'm speaking for bees. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know. God, what? What does and what doesn't? I don't have a clue. I think anything in excess is going to harm you, and you know. Mm -hmm. So you figure out what that excessiveness is and what what you can and can't handle. And there you go. Yeah. See, I think this is supposed to like make you feel better. It says it's false, but it says they aren't killed, only damaged. <laughs> <laughs> well, so they're still not tough. good. I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely still not good. I think I'd be a little more worried about my liver than brain, though. <laughs> okay, next one up. China has used more concrete in three years than the USA has used in 100 years. I'd say it's probably got to be true. That's a lot. 100 versus three. I got to say that's false. I think it's true because they don't want it to float on out into the ocean. <laughs> oh, no. so it is true it said it in 2011 to 2013 china had more concrete used than the u.s i don't know how you come up with that fact but it's true apparently think about how much concrete that is you know america's built a lot in the past hundred years <laughs> that's a lot <clears throat> that's nuts all right here's a farm one aphids give birth to other pregnant aphids True or false? I mean, I'm sure it's true because it wouldn't be that specific asking the question. I'm going to go with false. Though. I don't I don't see how like that. Yeah, I'm going to go false, too. It's true. Uh, <laughs> and that explains why your beans, <laughs> when aphids uh, get in there, they're everywhere. Man, huh. so what, so how does that, how does the fertilization process happen then? You gotta give us something here, Blake. Yeah, <laughs> I can. I'm, I can I'm, read. I'm, you most, realize I'm gonna be up till midnight now googling <laughs> aphids. Most Thank aphids you. are born pregnant, and females. Okay, there's too many 
big words in this paragraph to read the fact, but it's true. <laughs> I'm just curious of how the double fertilization happens. So how does the fertilized female give birth to a fertilized? They're tiny. I don't know. That's my answer. I will know by tomorrow. I just will not get any sleep tonight. So thank you, Blake. Okay, so whenever we was going to get out of the, uh, you know, we was feral to finish, and and uh, we was one of the reasons we was talking about it was because the big thing at the time was for uh, you had to go into hand breeding, mm. and so our sows and and boars were out on open lots, so those guys always done their own thing. So my brother and I sitting there talking about this, you know, is that something we want to do? And he said, you know what, nobody had to teach me how to do that. And I said, well, <laughs> I said, I looked at him. I said, yeah, but they don't have thumbs either. <laughs> so, you know, what was the good Lord thinking whenever he created that piece of anatomy, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Right here, bees. Right there. See what that is? Uh, yep, I sure <laughs> do. <laughs> Took a turn for the worse. Uh, that's definitely staying in there. All right, next one up. Pineapples take two years to grow. True or false? False. Yeah, false. It's, they got to put on a fruit every year. Bees is thinking hard. <laughs> I'm gonna have to go with true because I think I I can't remember if I they they grow on a tree, don't they? Or do they don't? No. I would have said I, yes to that. <laughs> yeah. No, they grow they grow out of the ground. Um, that's coconuts, there, bees. Uh, they grow out of the ground. <laughs> Like um, I'm trying to think what like what a other carrot plants or, or huh like a carrot <laughs> but no they grow they're a, they grow above ground though a carrot oh. so they grow above ground kind of like a cauliflower oh yeah yeah <laughs> so so it's it's true it takes about twenty to thirty six months for a pineapple to fully form. And bees, you can use that fact at the bar tonight to pick up women. I will be damned. <laughs> That's nuts, though. I mean, you got to plant stuff so far ahead. Of... I do like pineapple. You'd think pineapples would be more expensive if you only get a crop once every other year. You would think. Yeah, yeah no kidding. Yeah. Think of, uh, think of us, you know, worried about the weather just from, you know, March to October. <laughs> They're worried about the weather for a year and a year and a half. 2021. Yeah. Be like growing corn and raising them in Alaska might be a little rough. No, no, it might be. <laughs> Consider most of them are raised in Hawaii. Yeah. All right. Here's another weird one. And bees, I'll let you go after this one. Okay. If, if you can tell me the correct answer, human children. Okay. Don't develop kneecap bones until they're three years old. That's got to be false. Two people in here have kids, so I feel like they should be able to have a little bit more of an edge. You three years old. Wait. You want me to go wait? 
You want me to go wake wake my daughter up? Knock on her knees. How, how old is she, Jake? She is, she will be two next. Okay, yeah, you'd have the answer then. There you go. Yeah. Go wake that girl up. I feel like I feel like she's got knees. I say that's I, uh, I say that's true. I don't know, but they, they are just like kind of little sausage links down there. Yeah, really. yeah. I don't know. And the answer is, I think it's false. All right, bees, yeah. you're gonna be here for one more question then, because it's true. It says they don't fully develop until three years old. That the kneecap is there, and you can feel it. That is nuts. That's kind of crazy. I, feel, I am. You're getting a Snapchat tomorrow. <laughs> I'm sorry, you are. You're getting my daughter's knees are going to be modeling for tomorrow. <laughs>10, 15 minute drive. Oh, you so, stink. You stink. Yeah. <laughs> it is our, not bad at all. Our, our ADM is an hour and 45 minute drive. Jeez. Yeah. See, we have, uh, we have another ADM that is only 20 to 25 minutes from our shop. And another, another set of our grain bins, it's only 15 minutes from those grain bins. So, which ADM got, is that, Bees? Rockport. <clears throat> okay. I was going to say, I didn't think you could go and clear across town to down to uh, Broadway. Oh, no, we uh, we hardly ever haul to Broadway. Maybe just a couple loads a year for whatever reason. Maybe Newburgh's closed for some reason. So, yeah, that one's pretty tight. That railroad track and everything in there. Yeah, that's yeah. a little interesting in there. Yeah, I personally never hauled to it uh, myself, but I know uh, they've snuck a load or two in every now and then down there. So, yeah, and then of course the one over on First Avenue—that one wouldn't be any better for you going clear, because you're going clear across Evansville. Which, yeah, that stinks. Whenever they was working on Lloyd Expressway, um, we was hauling in there pretty consistent, and 
yeah. had one lane and you had concrete barriers on both sides of you. So mm -hmm. that would make your old pooper shoot pretty tight yeah. when you're going across there, buddy. I got to ask you, Mike, which yeah. time when they were working on the Lloyd? All right. <laughs> did that for yeah. quite some period of time. Yeah. Yep. So he was still in high school whenever I was doing that. <clears throat> mm hmm. Right. So, <laughs> so, so last year, year before, uh, <laughs> Bees yeah. is fresh out. He's You're not 22 out. yet, are you? Yeah, I'm 22. Are you? Yeah, yeah, he put out, remember, he put out the Taylor Swift. I couldn't remember. Taylor Swift. Yeah, yeah. yep, yep. I thought you older than that, Bees. You had me fooled. I graduated in 18. Holy smoke, you are a pup. Yeah, <laughs> but I've missed everybody's age on TikTok. I swore if you'd asked me, I was swore Tony Reed was 50 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah there was no doubt in my mind. And then whenever I find out he's 41, I'm like, huh, that's not possible. And that's whenever he and I started that thing back and forth about being in a nursing home. And, uh, and <laughs> <laughs> I went so far as whenever I was up there helping him. I took a picture standing beside the sign, knocking on the door of this nursing home, <laughs> <laughs> asking for him to let Tony out to, to do harvest that day. <laughs> I guess I'll ask, how was that experience? Because I never got to see, really see a whole lot of that stuff. That was, was that? Um, both of those. You know, of course, I went to Montana. Yep. Then yep. I went in there also. Um, there at Tony's, it, it was different. It was still corn and soybean harvest, which was what I've always done and what I was used to. Corn, soybeans, and wheat, and double crop beans, and that type of thing, white corn, whatever. And so, but the thing that um, was interesting to me was that I'd never seen so many 10-wheelers in all my life. Hmm. Um, everybody had 10-wheelers, very, very few semis. Um, every, almost outside of Tony's situation was a little bit different. Um, he had grain bins to haul most of it too but almost everybody hauls everything to town in the fall um which that would drive me crazy because it's bad enough setting in line in january yeah it's less setting in line in in october when combine needs to be moving back and forth through the field so that mm -hmm. was different tony does a very very good job tony's a very good farmer um and as he says where he's at you go north of shelbyville illinois he says that's where the glaciers stop and, you know, where Tony's at is some more lower, uh, lower dirt, uh, a lot of river, not a lot, but some river bottom dirt, but, um, but it's all still good dirt, but you go north of there and then you really get into some of that, what you call good prime farmland stuff that you always hear about, you know, uh, in Northern Illinois, central Northern yeah. Illinois. So, but for the most part, it was the same. Um, I did find out that, um, Tony truly doesn't like seed dealers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that's a whole nother story that I'll tell at another, another time, but I can see that that poor seed guy pulled in and Tony had already put this out earlier in the week about, I've got these great soybeans. I don't want to talk to you people stay away from my farm. Um, and, and, you know, don't even bother me. I don't want to talk to you. And so we'd had a rough morning that morning and we're standing out by the green bin and out of the corner of my eye, I see this pickup come in and I seen 
seed on the side of it. And I thought, uh oh, this is going to be epic. And it was. It got real dicey pretty quick. <laughs> so, so anyway, oh, it was funny. It was all get out, but we had we had a bad morning, but um, got a lot of work done while we was there. Um, you know, you know, Tony could learn a thing or two though, because you can usually entertain them enough to get a free lunch out of the deal, whether you're interested <laughs> or not. Yeah, you can usually get lunch. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it, it and then going into Montana was a whole nother thing. Um, oh, but that was incredible. I feel like that's a zoo up there. Yeah. yeah. And and of course, you know, you guys know the story how that all come about was through the auction that we did. Mm-hmm. And you know, whenever whenever I first put that out there, I asked my wife. I said, "This be dumb." I said, "You know, the guys want to do this auction." I said, "I've done harvest for fifty years." I said, how about I just go someplace and they auction me off to go someplace for a week. And so called the guys and they said, yeah, sure. That's fine. Let's do that. So they put it out there on their website and immediately I get a message uh, from Australia. I believe it was Uppy. <laughs> and he says, uh, what's your passport situation like? And I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> I, I can't go to Australia and before I can get them guys called. I get another one from somebody from Quebec asking the same question. And so I called the guys. I said, you got to keep me in the lower 48 States. I can't, I can't go out. I can't do that. I, that's just going to take up way too much time. Yeah. So anyway, Tony and them ended up, you know, with the winning bid that night. And then we done the gathering then that next night there in uh, Ames and, uh, and that's when Doug come up and he said, hey, if I'd write a check for X amount of dollars, would, would you? He said, what do you know about barley? I said, well, we raised barley when I was a kid. I said, so I don't figure barley's any different than, than wheat. And I said, done a lot of wheat. He said, not about the same. He said, so if I'd write a check, would you come to uh, Montana for a week? Oh, well, let's go talk to my wife about it. So go in there and told her the situation. And she looks at him and said, so when's these bags need to be packed? <laughs> so I know I'm on a plane headed to, and that was all during the week of that party that, that we did. I mean, time I got back from that deal, I was exhausted. I was you dead. Didn't see it. Oh my God. I was exhausted. And so, but to go out there and it's such vast countryside, whenever you shut off, I, I thought we lived kind of in the middle of nowhere, but when you shut off a piece of equipment at midnight, and you can't see so much as a security light anywhere, nothing. I mean, that's dark. And yeah. every, every little noise walking across to get to the pickup, <laughs> you hear every, every critter crawling and everything else. So, hmm. but, um, you know, and I'd never done wheat with a pickup reel like you would hay. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so they cut it down, let it lay for 12, 14 days, and then they come back. And, and then pick it up with a pickup reel. Um, and then, then we done green peas. And that was a whole nother game. Um, because, you know, it's just like cutting soybeans, except those green peas, they come up. You know how whenever you're running soybeans and you see them start coming in and you think, uh-oh, they're going to slug. Yeah. Well, these things float like feathers. And so they'll just kind of lay there and turn. And then all of a sudden it'll just take them in and you think, "Uh Oh, we're going to have a problem. (laughs) That's exactly what you think, but they don't, they'll never slug. Really? Uh, 
Yeah, they're, 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 it's like a powder almost when it goes through. But like I said, it's trying to put feathers through the feeder house. It's the strangest thing. But uh, picked up more stinking rocks up there than I've ever, <laughs> ever witnessed in my life. And I bet the first day I was there, uh, one of the guys was running a combine across the way, and, and I kept hearing this like pinging noise. <laughs> and so I asked Doug, I said, What's that? What's that noise? It sounds like a shotgun or a machine gun going off. He said, no, that's the rocks going through that machine over there. Oh, oh my <laughs> gosh. And it was the, it was little bitty rocks, but I mean, it was going through there just ping, 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 ping. So well, anyway, but you know, the, the weird thing was, you know, you always hear the, how beautiful Montana is, but we didn't get to see it because of all the wildfires at the time. I, we was at the base of the Rockies and, and only got to see the mountains one day. That's all I got yep. to see. Wow. So, but that was, that was totally different. Um, the, the kid that was up there helping him. So the, the last day we're there. Um, and actually this kid is Tony's brother's nephew. So he went up to help and I picked up this huge rock. And so I, I pulled it out of the head and I put it up in the cab. So at the end of that day, I told this kid, he was from um, Mount Vernon, Illinois. And so I pulled him aside and I said, Hey, I need you to do me a favor. And he said, what's that? And I said, okay. I said, I went to school to be a geologist and I studied anthropology, which is the study of dinosaurs. And, and I never went to college in my life guys. So, so anyway, uh, and I said, now this looks like a rock, but I said, this is actually a Tyrannosaurus Rex <laughs> tooth. And I said, so look at bees. He's believing this hook. Line. <laughs> so I told him, I said, here's what I need you to do. I said, now, don't you tell anybody that we found this dinosaur remnants here? Because I said, there'll be somebody in here dig this whole farm up. So I said, what I need you to do for me. I said, I can't carry this back on the airplane, but I said, it's extremely valuable. So I said, what I need you to do is when you, I, you need to haul it back to Mount Vernon, Illinois, you need to call me when you get there. And I said, and then I'll come and get it. And so, so anyway, um, I give it to him. He said, oh yeah, Mike, he said, I'd do anything for you. He gets out this blanket <laughs> and he wraps this thing up in the blanket and shoves it under his toolbox, you know, of his pickup, you know? And so, and I told the guys before I left there, I said, if you tell him that's just nothing but a rock, I'm going to come back and beat every one of you guys. <laughs> Never made it back to Illinois. So, <laughs> but he, he believed every bit of it, poor kid. So, wow. so, so yeah, that, that's part of that experience, you know, that you, you, you get to do now that you couldn't ever do before. So yeah, it was fun. So that's pretty neat. That's different. really neat. Yeah. So, but, so anyway, but yeah, by the time I got back on, oh, I got back on late Monday night. And by Wednesday, I told my wife, I said, I've got to apologize. I said, my gas tank is empty. I am so exhausted. <laughs> it took me until Thursday to finally get my feet back on the ground. I was so tired. So. <laughs> I, hope, I, I hope we do something with that. a golf scramble this next year, too. I was, I was pissed I had to miss last year's, but. Yeah, what it is. How far are you, was, are you from Grand Island? Uh, hour and a half. Oh, okay. Yeah, not far at all. That was last year. Was that was the week my uh, well, the day of the scramble was uh, 
the day after my daughter had her open heart surgery. So, oh. yeah, I, I was a little preoccupied. So I'd say you was. I <laughs> yeah, forgot. It, it, it was just it was just bad timing, but it is what it is. I mean, I was. Yeah, and how did that all come out, bud? Perfect, perfect. You know, always keep in mind that's what that money's raised for is to help families out like that. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, you know, yeah. whatever you guys get into buying like that, as you well know, there's a lot of money that comes out of your pocket. Um, yeah, yeah. I wanted to comment that during the podcast, but I couldn't quite get in there yet. But yeah, there's a lot of hidden costs that that fam that people don't realize on that too. Like just like, yeah, just like little stuff that you know, time away from home. Not only that, then just it it's crazy. And then like just trying to pick up any last meal you can. So it's like. Chick Fil A every day from the. It's, I mean, it's crazy, but yeah, yeah. Never got so sick of eating fast food in all my life. Um, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. The chance you get to spend at home, sleeping in your own bed, and eating a home cooked meal, um, people take for granted some of that stuff. But man, that is some precious stuff. Whenever you've been on the road so much, um, never got so sick of that stuff. Oh God, I hated. I mean, and the thing was for us at the time, you know, McDonald's was cheap then. It's five bucks. You know, my brother used to give me all kinds of crap about why you guys eat all that crap all the time for because it's cheap. It's the cheapest thing we can eat when you're away from home, and it was consistent. Um, I'm not saying it was great food, but it was. You knew when you got a Big Mac in, you know. Evansville, Indiana, it was going to be the same as it was in Chicago, Illinois, or Cincinnati, Ohio. So, but it was consistent at five bucks a head. Now it's, you know, 10, 12 bucks a head. It's all went up, but, and, and those costs are more. And the, and the cool thing, when we went through that farm show um, up there at Fort Wayne last week, we had two of our recipients that came to us that we had helped. And, and you guys probably seen the TikTok I put out, but had one young man come up to us that, what had happened to him was he got in a green bin. They were him and his dad and his older brother were cleaning out a bin. The boy's 12 years old. And it was a power sweep. And so his dad told him to jump out and get a broom. And you know how when you get down, you, you, you've got the last bit, but yet you let that sweep go around one more time so that you don't have to shovel as much or sweep as much up. Well, and you know how fast it can go around. Well, the boy happened to jump in at the bin at the same time it got to the door and it crawled up his leg. And his dad said that what saved him was it drug him over to the center where that connection, where the two auger sections come together. And you know how they don't always match up. And he said that the good thing was it had crawled all the way up to his thigh and stalled out there. Otherwise it's liable to have drug him clear to the middle and he's liable to got in the center some. Um, but you know, that little guy had been through 14 surgeries, um, and, uh, we was able to help them out in that situation. And then had another guy that was involved in a side-by-side -side accident, uh, who ended up with a traumatic brain injury and had some eye socket stuff that was crushed. Um, but that's the, the reason why we do what we do with the foundation is that to help families out because we've been there. Um, and what we always tell them is that will never tell you I know exactly what you're going through um, because what I won't tell you is I've walked in your shoes but what I will tell you is that I'll put my shoes on and walk alongside you and help you the best I can so that's kind of the in a nutshell why we do what we do through the foundation because we had so much help 
uh, from churches and people we didn't even know. And, you know, for us, you, you don't go into it saying, well, I'm going to pay somebody back. You go into it saying, okay, I'm going to pay it forward. So you're going to help that, try to help somebody else out down the road. You know, that's what your whole goal is, that you can take away some of that pain and suffering that they go through so that rather than being concentrated and worry about their finances, now all they got to do is worry about how my daughter's recovering from a open heart surgery. Um, that's what needs to be important is that you don't need all that other confusion going on. That's incredible. Honestly, I can't, <laughs> I can't say how much I respect what you guys do. We've, we've got to witness some pretty cool things. We, uh, we had a guy that was on open heart surgery. You need a heart transplant. And so what had happened was he was, he was basically living at home off of a machine was pumping his blood for him and did that for over two years. Finally came up on the transplant list, got accepted, went in, had a heart transplant done. It was successful. We happened to run into him and his wife a year. It, it takes, you know how that stuff goes. It takes a while before your body will accept somebody else's organ. So what happens is it takes about a year and a half, two years. So two years later, we run into him at the mall and they're coming out of Build-A-Bear. And so we, we're talking to him a little bit and we asked him, said, what do you guys you guys don't have grandkids. No, the, the kids that you have are older. What are you doing in Build-A-Bear? Well, what happened was the young man's heart that, that the guy said that I received, he was a 29-year-old 20, man. Um, his wife was six months pregnant. He was in a car accident, and he was killed, and he ended up never got to, to see the baby. And so at this point, the baby was two years old now. And I said, okay, so what's that got to do with Build-A-Bear? said, well, we went into Build-A-Bear. We went back into a silent room and we tape recorded my heartbeat. And we put that heartbeat in that bear and we're getting ready to go for the first time. We get to go meet the mother and the little boy and we're going to give the little boy the bear and the bear has his dad's sound of his dad's heartbeat in it. So, yeah. So, you know, some of that stuff, you know, because they took a tragic thing and turned it into a complete blessing. And so yeah. they felt like that was the least that they could do for that family uh, to honor, you know, the, the young man. So, so yeah. Or, or make the best of what you can out of the situation. Well, okay, so take a look at it from a mindset. So anything you have going on, you know, you can take the woe is me side of it, okay? And, but you know, when you get done and you've made a complete 360, guess what? You're still right back at that same problem, dealing with the same problem. So you might as well tackle it head on the best that you possibly can. Try to turn it into a positive the best you can. Because otherwise, it'll drive you crazy. And so you got to get it brushed out of your thought process as quick as possible. And so that's what you try to do is turn something rotten into to something that's beneficial, you know, uh, like in your daughter's situation. Yeah, you could, you know, what you guys went through, that's some tough stuff to have a little girl go through that kind of thing that she went through. Um, but yet, you know, at the end of the day, the, the thankful side of it is that she's still here and doing well so yes. that becomes absolutely the, 
Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You, you got to look. I mean, it was, I'm not going to lie. As, and I know you can relate to it on the hardest day of my life at, at this point in time is watching them roll her away. Um, yeah. So you just, but same time, wife was a complete meltdown. And then you got me. It's going to be okay. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm freaking out on the inside. But oh, absolutely. Okay. I promise. And, like, and, and you're going to have those moments. Um, there's yeah, nothing yeah. wrong with having those moments um, because, you, you know, you've got to let that emotion out and let it run uh, the best you possibly can because um, you've got to deal with it in the moment. And then once you get in out of that moment, then you try to gather yourself because at some point you're going to have to make some tough decisions. So you've got to gather yourself to a point to where, okay, we've, we've got rid of the negative part, but yet we've got some tough decisions in front of us that we've got to make uh, for her betterment. So we got to get our game together here quickly. And, and the, and the bad thing is there's no playbook. Um, what you no, went through, no. <laughs> there's no, no way that you knew what to do. I mean, who in their right mind sets around thinking, well, this is going to happen to me. So I'm going to get, I'm going to read up on this and I'm going to get prepared. I'm going to be ready Yeah. Uh, because you're not. And so that's the other thing we try to do is go back to hospitals and talk to families and try to walk them through the things that we've learned to help them avoid some of the mistakes that we had. Um, because, you know, and what I always tell people too, is that whenever you're going through something serious medically, whenever you go in and you have a doctor that says, you know, maybe you've got, I don't care if it's a knee replacement. I don't care if it's cancer, whatever it is. The first question you ask is how many have you done this week? And if they look at you and say, well, we haven't done one for six or eight months. Well, thanks, but no, thanks. Um, I'm going to go find somebody that deals with this every single day and do not let sick distance keep you from success. I don't care if you got to drive 300 miles to find it. You know, you've got to go where somebody has dealt with it. They have the experience to deal with it. And that, you know, your, your chances have now went from 5% to 95% just because you did that. Uh, and that's the reason why we try to help because, you know, if, if that helps somebody go a distance and we always say, go to a learning university hospital. Well, because they're on the cutting edge of everything that's new. So the thing to do is to get to those places that doing all the research of it so that you're as in good a hands as you can possibly be. I mean, that was a problem we got into with Travis was that we got trapped uh, was because we was in a facility that because of the conditions that we was in because of the weather, they couldn't get a helicopter in the air because of ice. So we had to go to a smaller hospital and we was actually was headed airlifted to Indianapolis, but it got canceled because of that. And we had to get him someplace and get him stable as quick as possible. So we, we kind of, and I, and I'm not saying we got bad care. We had great people that we worked with, but we just didn't have the kind of experience that he needed for his case. And in the situation he was under, we, we'd looked at other hospitals, but if he wasn't there within the first 36 hours, they wouldn't accept you. Well, that's not right. Because you can go into the emergency room in any hospital and they've got to accept you. But at the time he was on life support. So could we have moved him? I don't know. But I do know that if we had got someplace else, I think that his 
outcome would be totally different than from where he is today. So, yeah, but, but you know, if, if we can help somebody, maybe they're going to go 300 miles away. Okay. So maybe we can help pay for their gas to get there, pay for their hotel, pay for some of their food when they get there. Um, and then, you know, if we can help pay for maybe their out-of-pocket expenses, as far as their deductible or some of those things. And, and the problem we have a lot of times is people wait because of pride, pride gets in the middle of it because, well, and I did the same thing. I don't need no help. We, we just got here. I don't know what's going on. You know, it'll, it'll be fine. I don't, we don't need no help. Well, what happens is you get into it two months and on your desk at home, you've got a pile of bills sitting there hovering over you going, holy cow, now what's going to happen? And so the problem we get into is people don't fill it out quick enough. Um, they, they get into a bind and they need help right away. So that's the reason why whenever somebody fills out one of our resist, uh, assistance forms, 48 to 72 hours, we can have them help. We, we put it before our board and we can vote through the internet and through emails. And that's how we get them help right away. But like I said, pride gets in the way, but people don't take the time to fill out the assistance form. It takes 10, 15 minutes. It's not that difficult. I mean, we all know somebody in your area that's going through some rough stuff with cancer. 48% of what we do is cancer related right now. So that's what I was going to ask. If, if, if somebody listening has a, a family in mind, a person in mind, do they, do they contact them and recommend them to fill out your guys' assistant form? Do they contact the, the Travis Burkhart foundation and go that way? How do, how do they go about that? The only requirement we have is that if it's happening in your house, we ask that somebody outside of your house fill it out. So in other words, if, if, you know, mom and dad could fill it out as long as they don't fill it, live in your residence or maybe a cousin or a friend, it doesn't matter. They can fill it out. Um, and all they have to do is go to travisburkhartfoundation.com, go to our website and up in the right hand corner, it says, how can we help? And then it'll have a tab that pops up and it'll say assistance, hit that tab. And there's a few questions to fill out and there'll be some things like, you know, who the doctor is, that type of thing. Be as, um, uh, give us as much information as you possibly can, because that helps us be more uh, informed in what we're doing. Uh, and if we've got a question, why well, we'll call, we'll just call you and ask you. And, you know, we, we have helped families over 1100 times. We're approaching $280,000 now. But we have, to my knowledge, have never been taken advantage of. And part of that is, as you're well aware of, Jake, is that you start to develop, I don't want to call it a gift, but you, if you've been through something, when you talk to somebody, you can hear it in their voice, whether they're trying to scam you or whether they've sincerely got a problem. It's not hard to, to realize it real quick. And so I can honestly say that, to my knowledge, we've never been taken advantage of. And, and the luxury that we have is all of our board members, nobody receives a paycheck. So all of our money goes right back into helping families out. So that's one of the rare things that we can do. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's all you can do is it, it doesn't take long to fill it out. Um, had a buddy come the first night and he tried to give me a hundred dollar bill and I dropped it on the floor. And, and here's what he told me. And here's what I always tell people is that he said, listen, he said, God sent me here to bless you. And he said, by me coming here and you not accepting it, 
you're taking away that chance for me to feel the blessing that I've bestowed upon you. And uh, he was a guy I'd went to kindergarten with all the way back. And he said, our friendship will be over if you don't accept that. And I said, yeah, right. And he said, no, I'm serious. He said, you've got to accept this. So that's when you, you know, you say, all right, all right, I'll, I'll take it, you know? So it didn't take very long to go through a hundred dollars worth of gas real quick. Well, I was going to say, I know, I know exactly. I mean, in a sense of how, like you, you touched on, you know, in a sense of, of turning down help, no, I don't need it. I'm good. We're going to get through this stuff and that. And I, I feel like a lot of people go through that. And, and, that, and like you said, if you, uh, know a family that's going through like that it's just as simple as, as filling out a form and getting new contact and stuff like that so there's help available i mean it's because yeah. I, I mean i am i that, that was exactly how i was nope we're good and and, and my family and, and my wife's family god bless them because they were awesome absolutely awesome took care of everything we needed for for the time being so i can't i can't say yeah. one bad thing about that yeah. And, and that's the thing you'll, you'll, what'll happen is you'll see people step up that you don't know that, you know, that will step up. But what happens is when you go through something like this, it's real hot and heavy for about two weeks. And then, and, and I don't want to say the new wears off of it, but it, literally it does. And so then everybody's lives kind of go back to normal as, as you're probably well aware. Um, and then, then you're on your own on trying to figure out how to make all this work. Um, because, you know, I, I, I seen a mother the other day and she's got a, a son that's had a lot of, uh, genetic stuff going on and, uh, and her son's getting ready to turn, I don't know, 20 or 21. And he's had this since he was a kid. And I looked at her and give her a hug. And I said, nobody knows, do they? And she said, what? I said, nobody understands, do they? And she said, what do you mean? I said, nobody understands what it's like to go through that and it be more than a, a broken ankle. And, you know, you have surgery and a month later, your life goes back to normal. I said, you've been dealing with this for what, 15, 18 years. And she said, yeah. And I said, it gets tough, doesn't it? And she said, yeah. And I said, but I said, that's the thing is that it's hard for people to understand unless they've lived through something like it. And then they understand that, you know, once the new wears off, you've got to do it on your own and it gets pretty taxing. And, uh, you know, uh, as she's got an adult child, you know, that, that needs a lot of help. So, so, you know, it, it does. Um, and that's why I say, you know, the, the new kind of wears off of it and, and everybody kind of goes on about their, their life, you know? So, but yeah, that's why I say, but, but, you know, we've been, um, extremely blessed through the whole thing to kind of set back and be able to help other people out and, um, and witness it. Uh, we, you know, with our board, we always try to get our board involved as much as possible. Um, because, and, and let's say you fill out an application, Jake for Blake. Well, we may send you the money, but we want you to take it to Blake right. because we want you, you're the guy that filled it out and we want you to understand what he's going through and that, that you have the opportunity to feel the blessing that he's getting ready to receive. And so that's, that's the other thing, you know, we try to get people to, to be able to witness that. Uh, when we was in Fort Wayne, Steve Harlow was with us. And uh, at the end of that day, we had both those guys come up and he said, you know, 
until you witness it and you hear people talk about it, it's, it's really hard to understand it, isn't it? And I said, yeah, it can be. Um, he said, man, he said, I can't, I, I'm, I'm amazed at the impact that you guys have had uh, with so many people throughout the whole Midwest. And I said, well, it, it's not patting us on the back. I said, you know, whenever I got on TikTok, it was Travis's story. It wasn't me. It was Travis's story is what sold um, the, the whole process. But yet TikTok picked up on it quicker than than what we did here locally um and it was crazy uh that after after we did that um auction i've done eight or nine interviews here locally this summer on tv and on radio because people then understood because you know how it is when you get in a small community you know um you, you know it kind of becomes old news but then whenever that exploded and, and all you folks on TikTok took a hold of it, why well, then, then they understood to, Oh, uh, because we had people in our area that uh, had one just here recently. And she said, well, it's really nice that you guys are taking care of funeral expenses. We don't do funeral expenses. We've never done that before. Well, I thought that's all you did. She said, and I said no, no, we, we've never done funeral expenses. We only handle medical expenses um, in, in those type of situations. So, you know, people get the wrong message sometimes, you know. So, yeah. But, but yeah, um, I don't know. You know, the I think the guys are talking about wanting to do another auction coming up. So, uh, that'll be fun. See how that goes. So, well, gentlemen, got any other questions? Yeah. No, it was good talking to you. It was great talking to you. Yeah, I appreciate your time. That was probably one of the best episodes we've done. I really got into it. So, For sure. Yeah. I hope I didn't rattle on too much. No, you're good. No, there's 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 nights that we stayed on here till like what was it, one o'clock? One <laughs> one thirty in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's a good thing you guys have got going is that you know you guys can do this casually and no pressure on on what you're doing. All right, guys. Hey. All right, yep. Yeah, take her easy. Take her All easy. Right. Have, have a good one, Mike. All right, see, see you guys later. <laughs>